Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his What? It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show with your host, Warwick Mary. Now, today we have a man who has, like, festivals are his thing, but not his only thing. He's a big fan of disruption, of giant thinking, and of making the impossible happen on a regular occasion. Of course, it is the delightful, slightly imported Jonathan Holloway. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Uh, good afternoon, Warwick. Is that important or imported? A bit of both. Let's go for <laughs> both. Why choose when you can have I'm, I've always been a fan of a smorgasbord. Why not have everything? Yes. Hey, let's start off uh, by just asking, how do you define success? Uh, I think if, if I have a, a problem in life, uh, it would be defining success. So uh, I, I think it's mul- uh, it, there are multiple bottom lines in life. Um, there is the whole sense of, uh, I mean, I actually genuinely want to change the world, which is arguably a problem, and make a difference to cities and to people. And on a day-to-day basis, I, I want to get home for pizza night with my girls on a Friday night, having done a week that I'm proud of and kind of brought some joy or some illumination or some depth or some happiness or something into the world um, and then lie down on the sofa and, and forget about it for a few minutes. <laughs> I love that. I want to change the world and then come home and have pizza. <laughs> but it is, that's, this is the extremities of success because it is measured in so many different ways. Like you, you bought the, the walking giants to Perth, yeah? Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So uh, basically, yeah, uh, massive puppets. 1.4 million people uh, came and saw these giants as they walked through the centre of Perth, told the story of uh, the centenary of Anzac, told the story of the Nungar Nation and 60,000 years of continuous storytelling and allowed every school child in Western Australia to have a chance to express what the future meant to them. And so, yes, I, I just, that, was, that was the team. That, like, just hearing that, you're just like, wow, that, that's pretty huge. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, quickly press pause. Go, no, don't press pause yet because you've got to find out what to do. Google the giants in Perth and see if you can see some vision of it because it is hugely impressive, these giants puppets in Perth. And I'm assuming that you had a few challenges along the way in terms of, A, how would you get, corporate backing, government permits, because you'd have to shut down so many streets and traders would have been happy that there's lots of people, but upset that you, no one could park there. Like, it must have been a massive effort to be able to do that kind of thing. It, it was a massive effort. And there was a huge team who were completely fabulous. It started with um, the idea, which comes from a French company who have been doing giants now for a couple of decades around the world. And... They are the guy who leads them is an absolute genius, but uh, not an easy gentleman to work with. And so starting with persuading the company to want to come to Perth, Mm. then working with everybody over a couple of years to get permission and to get consent and get everyone's buy in it. We needed to raise millions of dollars. But then, yes, you're right. We had to shut down the center of the business district for three days to do this. And it's not sport. So it's relatively it. difficult in Australia to do that. Because in Australia, it's like, oh, sport, yeah, quick, shut the city, shut the state, let's have a day off. But you do something for the arts and it's, and it's hard. So how do, you, 
how do you, what are some of the arguments you would have to use to get people to, to actually want to do this? Well, to start with, we started with story, as you always do. You start with the story of what will, what will be the impact of the Giants. The most difficult thing was that for the first two years of working on the project, we were talking about something that hadn't yet happened and is pretty unimaginable. Mm. Um, and then but it got easier in that, those last three days. And, uh, in the, uh, and obviously then we, then we had to apologize to everyone for the next six months. But the first two years or so was about saying, this is the benefit of what we will gain. It will tell these stories. It will change the city and the way we perceive ourselves and the way that our city is perceived and the way that these stories are understood. Plus, it will bring in tens of millions of dollars of economic impact. It will, it will bring in tourism. It will raise profile and it will, um, it will uh, shove it to other major cities in Australia. I, obviously, the last one I never said, that would be very rude. It would be very rude, but I've got to tell you, there's probably one of the driving forces for any city in Australia to go, let's stick it up the others and show we're the best. Well, it, it, was, it was sort of the last resort, although we used it nine or ten times. So <laughs> I, I, I never quite know if the nuclear option is one that you can keep using. But we, uh, what happened was we, we told the story internally as a team and built a team who were so passionate and focused on this idea that every time anyone spoke to any member of our team, that member of the team believed in the project because people, when you tell them about something, they won't ask you the question. They'll go, that's interesting. Thank you. Goodbye. And mm. then they'll ring someone they know, you know, and they'll say, is this the real deal? Is this person real? Are they serious? Is mm. that actually going to happen? What do you think? And so we knew that everyone we ever talked to had to become passionately ad- advocating for this work because otherwise we knew that uh, like a, like a plumbing system, uh, once you actually begin to put the water into uh, any system of plumbing, any gaps, any holes, any any uh, cracks or bits that don't join up, that's where your problem will be. So we had to create this sort of sealed unit through which an idea and energy and then eventually money and time and people could flow in order yeah. to make something happen in the most amazing way. So two important questions. Was the Giants of Perth a success? And if so, how did you measure that? It, it was a huge success. And how, how we measured it, again, multiple bottom lines, it was organizationally tremendously successful. And the police and the fire brigade and the city and all of the armed services and the Returned and Services League, the Nungar Nation, the 400 people involved and the 1.4 million people who came and saw it and the shopkeepers and the city council and the state government all individually and separately said that they were happy with what had happened. We also had a headline in the West Australian, which was a front and back page that you can open out, almost a a bumper edition Mm. with a picture of the giants leaving with the headline, giant success, which uh, is, is useful because it's, it's rare that you can get um, the media to hail something one way or the other because they feel they should be balanced. Yes. And in advance, of course, everything was about road closures and the, the, the carnage that would be caused. And afterwards, it was just this thing was worth doing. Yeah. And yes, it made, a, it made about $40 million economic impact for an additional $2 million spent by the government. So, and, and we had moments like the elders of the Noongar community, the elders of, of, the, of the Aboriginal community 
having a big smoking ceremony and welcome for the Giants in front of 400,000 people, seven years to the day after Kevin Rudd had said sorry on behalf of the Australian nation. And the elders then went back to the rehearsal room and everybody in that room, 400 people stood up and applauded them for what they'd just done. And they said that doesn't happen in their lives. Mm. And this was the second most important thing in their view that had happened for their culture in the past decades. And and actually, you, you as a person, as a, myself as a festival director or a leader, had a relatively small amount to do with that moment. You can't orchestrate that. All you can do is create the space in which a thousand people hit personal best all at once. And the result is, is, is astonishing sometimes. And sometimes it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, there are a couple of hundred other projects I can talk about that... <laughs> Don't do this. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. This is what I find interesting is the, the, the truth of what can happen when an entire city says yes and comes together can be quite remarkable. Yeah. So because that, that's uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this festival mindset or, or, or almost giant thinking that you, you talk about is that for you as a festival director, you've got to have the big picture, the vision of like, oh, look what we could do. And then you've almost got to micromanage, well, not necessarily micromanage, but you've got to keep your eye on so many details. So how do you flip-flop between big picture spreading the message and, right, we've sold it, now we've got to do it, and we've got all these little bits. How do you do both the detailed and the big picture? Um, I'm not quite sure the answer to that, except you, you do have to. And the, tr- the truth is that the, the, the detail is done by 100 people. And so I would, I would be the first person to almost always talk about the project mm. before, in fact, the artistic director of the company because he was French um, in France, uh, an anarchist and uh, unconventional as a human being such that it didn't necessarily... <laughs> why do I need to I speak to these think, Australians? Eh, why would I do that? <laughs> like, well, a little bit of that. But also, also, also it's, uh, sometimes when people like a drink, it's about what time of day it is. I mean, it's... It, yes. it's if you have to, if you're worried about anything that happens after 11 a.m., you you know you have an issue. So, uh, my job was to go out there and actually represent the whole thing in the first instance, and then allow people to do what they did about the details. So, I would. We had a lot, a lot, a lot of meetings, but we also had the most unbelievable team of people who, first of all, the festival team were over the whole thing, but then we actually formed a separate parallel team that was based in uh, the Australian Marine Naval Base where they they build and repair warships and submarines just outside Fremantle it's a it's a semi-secret military institution it's on Google you can find it that's how secret it is it's not as secret as for example little creatures patio but it is it is kind of it's meant to be secret but the team of people's job was to just make sure every single tiny piece of detail was covered Mm. and the truth of it is that I think there are two stages to any project. There's it's too soon to tell and there's, it's too late to do anything about it. Mm. And the, the, the job of, of a board of directors or a director or an, uh, a chief executive or an artistic director or any manager is at the moment it's shifting from it's too soon to tell to it's too late to do anything about it to say, and are we going to do this? Because once you said that it's on, it's mm. game on. And so really the importance of of the detail was about making everybody who came into contact with it an everyday hero. It was finding people and then allowing them to be heroic. It, it was it was deflecting 
as much credit as possible and, and claiming all of the problems and all of the uh, issues for oneself. It was, it was a classic leadership thing. If you step out to the front and then invite people to join you, but you stay where you need to stay in order to take the flack because the flack is generally not helping you get to where you need to get to. It's indicative of what might not be working, but it's rarely about the thing it's really about. So whilst you're taking that on board and you're then filtering the hundred complaints and going, you know what, there's a pattern or uh, people worried about how they will get their customers from the Hilton or the Hyatt to the airport on that morning when the roads are closed. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really valid worry and fear. And however important you think what you're doing is, every single person you're coming into contact is passionate about their industry, mm. and rightly so. So it was also asking people in their language, what, what do you worry about? What, how can we help you do your job? Yeah. So, okay, so that was the Perth Festival, but you've done many festivals. And in fact, you're, are you a festival director at the moment of an upcoming festival? Um, yes, I'm director of the Melbourne International Arts Festival. which Just a is... tiny little thing, nothing, <laughs> no concern there with the, no history or reputation of excellence to worry about at all. No, it's, I mean, it's, look, I mean, yes, yes, it's the premier arts event of uh, Victoria, but, uh, which is the cultural capital of Australia. But, I mean, you say potato. <laughs> I mean, everyone, everyone, everyone says potato. I think we've agreed now. Yeah, no yeah. saying potato, that's how it is. No one says potato. No, never did. Never did. So, so what's the... What's the value of festivals? Like they've, they've been around. We seem to have had an influx. Music festivals got really big after Lollapalooza. Everyone had a Palooza of some description. Then they've died off a bit because everyone broke. But then the artistic festivals happened. We have the Melbourne Festival, the Fringe Festival, the Comedy Festival. The... So what is it about festivals that everyone loves? Why are they so important to us? Well, I mean, festivals go back millennia. And I mean, Christmas and Easter in, in our in, 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 in sort of our culture or, or Eid and Hanukkah in terms of world cultures, there's this sense that the festival is the moment you can look forward to the whole of the year. A festival is what makes life worth living because, you know, if, if your centrepiece for your year, if you're in the UK, is going to Glastonbury or if you're here, it's going uh, to Wave Rock or it's going to Burning Man or it's going to the Melbourne Festival or a comedy festival. Any of those things are what people build their year around. And so there's a, you look forward to them. They're also a time of such intensity and focus and excitement that everything else disappears for a short period of time. So you throw yourself into it. And I think there's a cynicism sometimes. I think there are moments when people put three cheeses on a plate and call it a festival. And, and, and that's not, that's just a plate of cheese work. <laughs> that's all that is. And I, you need to stop doing it. But I, I mean, I, I, I would... I slightly question whether garlic is a reason for a festival, but look, it's a beautiful thing. And if it gives people that, that focus and thing to look forward to, like holidays, you work for 48 weeks of the year, if you have to, 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 to wait for that week or two weeks when you go somewhere hot and quiet and beautiful by water. And mm -hmm. that, that's what makes life worth living. So to some extent, uh, I guess festivals are Friday night, pizza night with the girls but once a year and for hundreds of thousands of people and amplified that's a lot of pizza it's a lot of it's a lot of girls it's a lot of pizza I was, i'm not even sure i almost wish i hadn't started with it yeah, yeah that's okay so with um so obviously garlic festival is not a big one for you but outside the melbourne festival which is obviously your current fave what 
style of festivals or what festivals do you like to go to as a participant? And can you go as a participant or is your festival director hat on all the time going, oh, not sure I like what they've done there. And, oh, this was, that's a good idea. I might get inspiration from that. Wouldn't copy, but I'll get inspiration. Um, so for you, what sort of festivals float your boat? Well, you know, I like all. I like a lot of different festivals, and actually, as I think most people do, I love a Glastonbury or a Burning Man. Um, something that is so immersive and muddy and surprising that you can't leave, and that you're almost held hostage by. I also do love the big international festivals in in Melbourne and Sydney, and I'll be at Dark Mofo in a couple of weeks' time, or Edinburgh and Avignon, which are just these. Festivals which transform a city they're in. The first festival I fell in love with was New Zealand Festival because I was there and I thought, I'm on the other side of the world. I, I, was, I was in England then. I thought, this is something which is necessary to everyone who comes into contact with it. All of that said, Spudfest. Actually, I, I, I made a joke about potatoes. I made a joke about garlic. But let's face it, a great festival in, in a small town uh, that's run by passionate belief-driven people is brilliant so, so that's Spudfest uh, in trentham yeah trentham the trentham Spudfest. what a what a what a blindingly good event that is and, and i say that because uh, the thing about the cheeses is different that's about a marketing tagline festivals work for marketing in the way that that christmas works for marketing or valentine's day works for marketing it's a it's something you can hang a hook off and so when you say i know let's let's get people into the area Let's have a, a festival. That's one thing. But when you get a bunch of people coming together, passionate about some, something as beautiful as the Humble Spud, and then making a festival that, that they care about, and you can see the love in it. I yeah. like a festival where I can see the love that went into making it, or the vision, or the passion. I'm less keen on a festival where I can see the marketing budget. But then I say that, and some of my best friends, our marketing professionals. And it, it's also a vital thing to do. Festivals can transform, I think, any delivery mechanism. And, and they have a formula that focuses and intensifies. But there is, there is a, a healthy room for both, isn't there? Like there is the healthy room for, okay, this is the marketing we're trying to sell stuff. But there's also, there's like where there's some people who are so passionate about potatoes, wine, theatre, comedy, whatever, that it's like, this is my chance to just binge on this and hang around with people who love this stuff and have these detailed conversations with the, the nerds who know the in and out of this industry more than anyone else, regardless of how much money I spent. Absolutely. And I, for years, have thought uh, or did think that, that the reason I enjoyed going to things like conferences and training events and uh, which I think are all themselves festivals. They are all a focused short period of time in which some ideas are discussed and delivered. For ages, I used to believe that I could get to 95% of the population by running a festival in a city. And the other 5%, that hard 5% to get to, I could get to through speaking or going out to other people's events and being part of that. And I've realized that I may have been slightly arrogant in that no no don't no, let, no, no, don't, no that's uh, others not you others let me finish and i may have been slightly arrogant and actually i suspect that actually i can get to five percent of the population with an international arts festival maybe <laughs> maybe more maybe in, in perth we did get 1.6 million people in a population of 1.6 so it was a minimum quarter of the people coming four times but actually, most of the festivals are between 10 and 20% of the population. But then the rest of it, the other 90 to 
70%, depending on the maths, are, you, you get to actually by going to them, not by expecting them to come to you. Yeah. And so actually that my, uh, the thing I'm enjoying at the most, and, and you know this because we've talked about it, which is why I'm sat here in front of you, is, is actually exploring what goes into festivals and the arts, which isn't applicable to most people, but the lessons from it are. And that I'm finding the storytelling around the possibilities and what we learn from the festival formula or mm. giant thinking utterly thrilling at the moment. And, and every, every time I say this to people who are not in the arts, they seem to respond actually more strongly than, than arts people. Right. Who take it maybe a, a tiny bit for granted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what got you into festivals? Like, uh, are you a, a, an artist, background, thespian, whatever, and were a participant then started running them? Well, first of all, it's indoor work with no heavy lifting. How good is that? So that was, that was my... RSI from driver. typing, that's about all you've got to get. <laughs> the, first, the first of my drivers. I was a cathedral chorister uh, when I was uh, between 8 and 12, which means I actually... A friend of Ella Jones, per, per se? I was a little bit before Ella Jones, oh, I have right. to say. I also have to say that I probably tried not to giggle in more weddings than the royal family. <laughs> so... I, and then I went. Then I discovered uh, that, that uh, I discovered drama and theatre. I went into theatre. Became I trained as a theatre director and directed theatre for a bunch of years, ending up at the National Theatre in London, where I directed my last on-stage work in two thousand and two, which was very successful and marvellous. And I thought this isn't enough for me because I'm, as I think I've indicated earlier, troubled. Uh, by a combination of ambition and and laziness, and so uh, a workaholic uh, who 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 just then wants to lie down a little bit. No a workaholic who couldn't be stuffed doing anything. Not on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so I I went into festivals because I'd been producing and programming work, but I I have this passionate belief that actually you can create amazing moments and amazing combination of combinations of work in people's space if you work in theater you ask people to come to you and buy tickets and that's brilliant millions of people do that for art center melbourne every year hundreds of thousands do that with melbourne festival and it's an incredible thing but actually if you can go out out into the world to where people are and start telling those same stories suddenly you have something that is is even more transformational yeah yeah so what's next so you're doing the, the, the Melbourne Festival. That's, is that a 12-month gig or have you got this for a couple of years? Or? No, I've, had it, I've had it for two years. I have it for two more. Right. And I'm, we're announcing our next festival at the end of July. So right. that's in about six weeks' time, I believe. Cool. And so the next three weeks are closing the program, finishing raising sponsorship, persuading people to let us do what we do, writing the copy and making sure it's all beautifully together. Yep. And, um, and, and again, I, again, I stress well, that doesn't mean I do those things. It just means I'm, I, I, I lead part of the team that does you that. You just make sure it gets done. You get someone else to do it, and then you go, yep, now nah, redo this bit, now do that bit. I work with brilliant people who are self-motivated yeah. and self-starters, and, and so it's great. My job is to have ideas and think of the vision and work out what's needed and wanted and select the art, and then everyone around me, this, this, this astonishingly brilliant machine kicks in and makes it happen. So that's the next thing. And then beyond that, I'm, I don't know 100%. I'll, I intend to carry on splitting my time between Europe and the Southern Hemisphere. I absolutely love it here in Australia, mm -hmm. but I suspect the tension to go backwards and forwards will continue. I think I'll still keep leading in the arts and I'll still keep speaking. And the public speaking thing is, is and the keynote 
speaking is something I'm, I'm dedicating a lot more time to and right. to broadcasting. And I'm writing a book about creativity and the arts. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, just got a publisher for that. So I'll, I'll, I've got a publisher, but I actually, they, they want to see something that I oh. like to write it. How, how, how pushy are they? Like, you know, they, they want actual it? writing to be able to publish. That's outrageous. I told you what the idea was. What? <laughs> how could you, how could you just press, Google's got a button for it, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so if, um, if, if any festival in the world said, oh, Jonathan, come and be our director, is there a particular festival that you think, oh, I want to get my hands on this one? Oh, that's a great question. I, I love, I mean, I, I love big cities. I mean, I'm loving, I'm loving Melbourne, and I, I had a fa- fabulous four years in Perth, but I'm loving the way Melbourne is. So this, this was an absolute dream for me. I love New York, and I love London, and I love Paris and Barcelona, and Buenos Aires, although you'll notice a few of those cities uh, demand languages in which I can't do my job. But I can order a beer, but that's, I'm guessing, not enough. Uh, it's a good start, though, especially Balance for Friday. Start. And uh, so I don't know, really. We'll see. I don't know if there is a single festival. As, as I say, London and New York are exciting and difficult places to work. Yeah. So that's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. And And I'd like to keep dividing my time and keep doing various things i i'm getting a huge amount of energy from meeting a wide range of new people at the moment so i've i've deliberately spent the past year leaving the arts and leaving my comfort zone and meeting people from all different walks of life who come together to influence to explore ideas to support others and i'm enjoying that a lot because it's yeah. it means i can't simply step back into what I know and, and what I, uh, into tricks. It yeah, means yeah, I have yeah. to actually uh, work hard, which, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, to be honest, I really do enjoy doing. So uh, just as we wrap up, what's, what's one or two things you wish you'd known earlier? A couple of little secrets to your success that you wish you'd known earlier. I wish I'd realised in the first five years that if you, if you encourage people into the idea, tell the story beautifully and then let them drive it forward, things will be far more successful. The idea of creating the possibility for everyone to hit personal best okay. um, themselves. I wish I'd had more sense of persuasion when I was younger and persuasion in all its forms rather than the direct. Yeah. Uh, the, the indirect, the, the yeah, political yeah. persuasion and leading people along. And I, oh, that's a great question. I, I mean, I, I was really fortunate in that I got thrown into some really big CEO and artistic director jobs very early. I wish I'd have relaxed and enjoyed it more as yeah. I went along. I wish I'd not spent most of my years believing it was about to end. <laughs> and I, I, somebody said, uh, a great writer said that you don't, li- I think uh, they said you, you don't listen to a piece of music looking for the last chord, looking forward to the last notes. You don't listen to a Beatles song thinking, I can't wait for the final chord, with the exception of that one song of, uh, um, is it Sergeant Pepper? And there's one that's got that great discordant chord. Yeah. Apart from that one, <laughs> don't listen to music like waiting for the end. And the journey is everything. Yeah. The destination is just a detail. And so I wish I'd, uh, clocked that earlier on. Fantastic. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to find out more about you or the Melbourne Festival, how can they get in touch with you? They can go to my website, which is www.jonathanholloway.com. 
com. that's j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n holloway.com or melbourne festival which is www uh, festival.melbourne it's really simple and you just can't remember which way around it is <laughs> just google melbourne festival you'll find it it's going to be fantastic it really is jonathan thank you so much mate thanks for it you've been listening to another episode of the get more success show with your host warwick mary i look forward to your company next time thanks for listening to the get more success show with warwick mary Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success. <laughs>